Well, good morning, and welcome to Regeneration, and happy Easter. Um, we are super excited um, that it's Easter morning and that we can all together to worship today and um, celebrate our risen Savior. Um, here at Regeneration, we are passionate about interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. And so my hope today is that, just a second, I have to do my Katy Perry thing where I hold it like this. Um, it's got a point back up and over. Um, our hope is that today that you would be by Jesus' love and grace. Just a second. Mic switch, is that better? There we go. Okay. All right. Um, so first of all, if you are a Facebook user and you want to, you can check in using the hashtag RegenGives. And this month, our um, check-ins will all be towards donations for Inspiring Minds, which is a local organization that helps students kind of have a vision for something better for their future. So they take them um, on college tours, give them tutoring, give them job experience, and just help them have a broader picture and more hope for the future. So again, that's hashtag RegenGives. Um, and then uh, April 15th, um, if you've been coming to Regen for a while, or if this is maybe your first time here and you want to know a little bit more about us, April 15th, Sunday, after the service, we'll be having a lunch in our Discover Regen. And so that will just give you an opportunity to get to know our staff, hear a little bit more about what God's doing here, and maybe places that you could plug in or be a part of what's happening. So we'd love to have you join us for that. And then um, April 20th and 21st is going to be our couples conference. It'll be right here at the Regen campus, and we're having um, doctors Bob and Pamela McRae come out from Moody Bible Institute. Um, they are just, they're a wonderful couple, but they've done a lot of work with young couples and um, couples throughout the years, and so we're really excited about this conference and the opportunity just to develop our relationships and pour into them and get to know one another better. So we'd love to invite you back for that as well. Um, and then finally, if it's your first time here, um, on your way out in the back, you'll see um, a table with mugs and books. And so we'd invite you to fill out this hay card. We'd love to connect with you, start a relationship with you. And then the book and the mug are just our gift to you. And happy Easter for being here. So thank you so much. Hi, good morning. You all look so beautiful today. Um, thank you. I'm wearing color. Um, we're going to take offering, uh, so if you'd like to go ahead and pray with me. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here today. Thank you for um, the opportunity to come and worship your risen son. Um, we thank you that um, your son died for everyone, but he also died for each of us individually. Um, and I just ask that you would come and speak to us about that truth today. Um, just speak your love and your hope and your faithfulness into every area of our life. Um, God, I just ask that you would bless uh, the offering that we bring to you today, that um, we are just so thankful for the opportunity to mirror your generosity with ours. God, you are our confidence this morning in a world where confidence is so hard to come by. Amen, little one. God, uh, out of the mouths of babes, you testify to your goodness and your glory, and we have come to this place to bear witness to that as well. And so, Father, would you speak this morning? Would you speak louder in our lives than the voices of our fears and our doubts and our cynicism? <laughs> Would you, see, uh, would you speak louder than our apathy and our indifference and help us to see you this morning? 
pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle, and I get to be a pastor here. Uh, shout out to Dolores, who is leading worship this morning, because Julia has some form of a, a viral thing, an infection thing, maybe laryngitis. So Dolores heard yesterday that she was leading, so I appreciate that. I, this is only Regen's second Easter. Close. All right. Oh, boy. How are we doing over there? Okay, um, this is only Regen's second Easter, and so I was so jazzed about it, I only got like three hours of sleep last night, um, which only if, if I say anything logical or good this morning, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to me. Um, I'm super glad you're here. I'm super honored that you would share your Easter Sunday with us. I'm super just, this has been a dream in our hearts and in Jesus's heart long before, and I just want to let you know that you are welcome in this place. You were loved by us long before you walked into this room, and uh, you belonged here before you even knew it. And so I hope that this morning you are interrupted by the love and grace of Jesus as we reflect on his resurrection. Um, I have been a lifelong fan of a show called The Office, and in our house right now we are re-watching it, and uh, in that spirit, go ahead and take a look at this. That guy's name is Dwight Schrute. And uh, I'm really sad to say that most of my life, Dwight and I have shared some things in common. Uh, I have been the target of many practical jokes. In fact, Michael Britt is here, and he, he is the culprit, actually. I didn't even think I could publicly shame you, but ha! There he is. One time we were on a missions trip in Africa, and I fell asleep, and I woke up, and they had been putting cookies in my mouth while it was open. One time while we were on a missions trip in Africa, I got locked in the bathroom and they left me in there for 45 minutes and kept pushing Pop-Tarts under the door. <laughs> when I was in college, my, my friends, my friends, they, they took uh, stu the student newspaper and they balled it up each page. They found a whole bunch of extras and they put them in my dorm room until my, my dorm room was knee high in paper and they stuffed it into my bed and into my mattress. When I was in college, this was Bible college, okay? <laughs> Which probably explains it, because we were very bored. And um, uh, uh, we, my friends took post-it notes and put them on eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper, and they like stuck them on there. And they printed this like little lemur thing. It's like a mouse. I don't understand. And they printed hundreds of these things. And I came back to my room, and, and they were just everywhere. They're in my books, and in my clothes, and in my pockets, covering my desk. You can laugh. I've been to therapy, and it's OK now. Um, <laughs> So you can imagine, uh, because of my very experiences with this trauma, uh, or pranks, I, I never prank anyone ever. And you can imagine that I just love April Fool's Day, uh, which by the way is today. Today is April Fool's Day, and for the first time since 1956, uh, it is also Easter. On Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, a 30-something carpenter from a small town in Palestine who lived and died nearly 2,000 years ago. On April Fool's Day, we pull pranks and practical jokes on one another to get each other's goats for the laugh to put someone in their place. And I can own that in high school, I often deserved to be put in my place, so well done. When April Fool's and Easter fall on the same day, you can't help but wonder if the resurrection of Jesus... This man from Nazareth 
isn't also a joke. Are we gathered here today as targets of a centuries-old practical joke? I hate practical jokes because they put us to shame. They make us feel embarrassed and disappointed. And Paul, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, wrestled with this idea, is this resurrection a joke? And he said, if it is a joke, if Christ hasn't been raised, if Christ is still dead, he said, I am embarrassed, I am a fool, I am shamed, I should be pitied more than any other. But Paul said, if Jesus is alive, then something brand new has happened in the universe, something brand new has happened in the world, something is breaking in and through in a way that has the power to change everything that we know about what is and what could be. And as we wrap our ordinary lives around his extraordinary life, we find hope and peace and joy and steadfastness and affection. Paul spent his life making this one claim, Easter's no joke. He spent his entire life making one claim, Easter's no joke. It's not a practical joke intended to put us to shame or embarrass us. Instead, it offers us a hope that is durable and bulletproof and cannot be shaken. A hope that Paul says in Romans 5 does not disappoint, does not put us to shame. Let me just read you what Paul wrote. Dan, don't worry about following me because I'm going to be all over the place. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope will not put us to shame. For this hope, for we know that how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has made us friends with God. This is a crazy, power-packed text. And Paul says that the resurrection is no joke, that it offers us friendship with God that is no joke. Peace with God that is no joke. It offers us hope. It is no joke. We're going to look at each of these in turn. Um, But before I do, is it nasty hot in here or am I just having a moment? Okay. Thank you, Rebecca. Rebecca is our site coordinator. She's the bomb.com. I might sweat myself to death here. Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus, his glorious return to life after his gruesome death, restores our friendship with God. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. 
Paul says that Jesus' life and death and resurrection restores our friendship with God, which implies that something about that friendship needed restoring and needed repairing. There's a wide variety of things that we do to each other and that we do to ourselves that is outside of God's design, that is outside of God's best for us, that is outside the boundaries that God gives us. Scripture calls it sin. Sin is not, understand this, accidental or occasional. It's at the very core of who we are. We are fundamentally flawed and broken. There's something about the world that is not the way it's supposed to be. There is something about our hearts and souls that is not the way it's supposed to be. Paul says that we were helpless. Paul says that we were objects of God's condemnation. Paul says that we were God's enemies. And then he says the two most important words in any language. But God. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The Friday before Jesus rose, we call it Good Friday, Christ died while we were still sinners. And his blood poured out, made us right with God through faith. And we'll, we'll get through the faith part later. But in our helplessness and in our need, God demonstrated his love by sacrificing his son for us. In the rising of Jesus, he has restored our friendship with God. That's all God wants. He just wants to be friends. He, he doesn't want to rule us or order us around or boss us around or shame us or guilt us or condemn us. He just wants to be friends. Jesus says, I do not call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. And this is all well and good, except when we consider the fact that we have varying kinds of friends. And frankly, some of our friends aren't that great. And so if God wants to be friends with us, what kind of friendship is he going for with us? God is a friend far better than any we could ever imagine because all of our days were spread out before him and he knew us and he saw us and he loved us just the same. When I was in college, I read this book called um, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And, and here's the whole book. It's like 80 pages, one sentence. Here it is. I'm afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am and you don't like it, who I am is all I have. This is why we fear vulnerability. This is why we lie and gossip and slander people, all to get attention away from us so that nobody sees who we really are. And here's the remarkable thing. God sees who you really are. Your pride, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your indifference, your apathy, your addiction, your whatever. He sees your past, he sees your future, and he looks at it and he sees it and he loves it. He moves toward it. That's the kind of friendship that God is after on this Easter. One where he knows absolutely everything about you and it does not sway him for even a second. God hasn't looked at you and thought, oh, maybe that was a bad call. No, on Easter Sunday, Jesus emerges from his tomb. Jesus emerges from his tomb and he says, I want to have a friendship with you that's not a joke. On Easter, Jesus offers us friendship that's no joke. And that friendship, Paul says, feels a lot like standing in a place of undeserved privilege. It feels a lot like standing in a place of undeserved privilege. Look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
God made us right with himself when Jesus died. While we were still helpless, he made us right through faith. We're going to get to the faith part in a second. And in that place, we stand, in that friendship, we stand in a place of undeserved privilege. I don't know if you watch the show on Netflix called The Crown. The Crown, excellent show. It's about Queen Elizabeth, and it starts when she first takes the crown and then is starting to follow her through her life. And the thing that always strikes me about this show is like the endless procedure and protocol. Like, when do I stand? And when do I sit? And when do I blink? And, and like, when do I kiss her hand? And when do I not? And when do I grovel? And when do I scrape? And when do I bow? And we think God is like that. We think our relationship with God is such that we have to bow and scrape and grovel. And instead, he says, this place is where we stand. This place is where we stand. And Paul says, standing in that place, standing in a place of friendship, I'm going to start yelling. You should probably pull me back. It's going to be one of those. I have said so much caffeine, and Jesus is saying very true things. Um, The place that we stand feels a lot like peace. Peace with God. We have peace with God because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Talk to a person who has just stepped across the line of faith. We have a lot of those people in our community, and it's super fun and super wild. Um, and, And almost every one of them will say, when I stepped across the line of faith, when I met Jesus, what I felt was peace. And they didn't know they needed that peace. They didn't know they wanted that peace. They didn't know that they were made to experience that peace. But when they saw Jesus, when they put their faith in him, when they said yes to Jesus, they found peace. Peace with God. And so I texted a whole bunch of people in our community and I said, what does peace with God feel like? And they said, peace that comes from walking with God feels like certainty. They said, it's the assurance that everything's going to be okay. That even on the rough days, he's watching and listening and guiding me. That no matter what happens and how my emotions may change and how I may feel at any given moment, angry or sad or happy, he's fine with that and he accepts it. Somebody said it's intriguing, unfamiliar, and worth it. Somebody said it's feeling profoundly grateful at every moment for even the simplest of things. Being truly joyful and seeking his presence and having faith that everything will work out in his way meaning no fear or worry about anything in life, feeling no guilt for past mistakes and being able to delight in God's presence. Somebody said peace with God is stability in spite of blank. Stability in spite of blank, whatever that may be in the moment. They said it's a quieting of the soul and a calmness of the mind. They said it's the ability to rest even in the midst of bad circumstances, even when the bad circumstances aren't changing. It's the ability to rest. They said... It's security in knowing that he's not mad at me, that he doesn't want to smite me or judge me, that the cross is the final word about me. Paul says it feels like this. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Talk to a person who loves Jesus and they will walk through hell. And they'll be disturbed, they'll be stressed out, They will be shaken but not stirred. The peace of God, which literally says walks guard duty around our heart and mind, hems us in. It stops us from going to the edge and for that matter over the edge. Talk to a person who loves Jesus and it doesn't matter what suffering they're going through. Something remarkable happens inside of them that they are somehow kind of okay. I mean, they're not perfect. And anybody that's like happy, clappy, obnoxious, if that's you, you can leave now because we don't want that. 
We've had a sad year, some of us. And yet what we have also found is peace. What we have found is peace with God that surpasses all understanding, that beyond reason or explanation is there in the midst of it. We have peace with God in that friendship and undeserved privilege. We have peace, Paul says, and it is peace that's no joke. It's peace that's no joke. We have friendship that means Jesus is with us in the midst of every circumstance. As John Wesley once said, the best thing of all is God with us. When he is with us, he brings us peace, even in the midst of the hardest things. And if we have that peace and we have that presence, that means we have hope in every circumstance. Paul says, we can rejoice as well when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not put us to shame. This hope will not disappoint. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Let's clear this up right now. The way of Jesus, his gospel, his good news, does not insulate us from bad things. It is not morphine. It is not insurance against bad things. It does not stop bad things from happening to us. And anybody that tells you if you just prayed more or had more faith and the bad things wouldn't happen to you is a liar. Period. The way of Jesus is a suffering way because in Jesus we see a Savior who suffered, was beaten, his body was torn, he bled, and yet he lived. Jesus' presence in the midst of our suffering transforms our suffering. But if you believe that a a religion owned by a God who suffered is going to be without suffering, you're insane. What's not insane is joy in the midst of suffering. Because Jesus, for the joy set before him, suffered what he suffered. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. There will be loss, there will be grief, there will be miscarriages, there will be depression. You will lose your job, your marriage will get rocky. The bottom will fall out. And yet these things are not the final word about us. The doctor will say, it's cancer. Your spouse will say, I want the divorce. The bottom will not fall out. As Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Listen, when we suffer, we are put in touch with the death of Jesus that purchased us. We are put in touch with the death of Jesus that saves our lives, but we are also put in touch with the life that he offers us. It is always being made manifest in our bodies, and so there is joy. There is this insane thing with people that love Jesus that they are okay in suffering, and they Even, this is crazy, they have joy. Not all the time. I'll tell you what, joy is not happiness. It's not giggles. 
There is joy and then there is hope. This is why Paul says, endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation in the hands of Jesus. In the hands of Jesus, nothing is wasted. In the hands of Jesus, what happens to us is not God swiping at us, not fate swiping at us. In the hands of Jesus, our suffering is transformed so that we can become more like Jesus. In other words, on Easter, Jesus comes forward from the tomb and offers us hope that does not disappoint, hope that will not put us to shame, hope that is no joke, hope that is bulletproof and steadfast and rock solid in the midst of whatever life throws at you. Jesus emerges from the tomb and says, hope is real and alive and it is anything but a joke. And there is hope for our future. There is hope that these, this present Life that we live isn't all there is, that the world isn't always going to be not the way it's supposed to be, that God in his grace and mercy is bringing all things to his desired end and at that end there's hope. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And by the way, prosper does not mean a bends in your driveway, I'm sorry. Do you know what prosperity is? It is standing up in the midst of what's hardest. That's prosperity. That can't be taken away by any repo man anywhere. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. There is hope for your future and there is hope for your present. When you walk through hard stuff, you are tempted to say something like, well, it is what it is. And you resign yourself and you back off. You're tempted to say, it is what it is. The resurrection of Jesus means that it is always more than it is. Hope means that it is always more than it is. It's not just the thing, it's more than the thing. There's hope for your future, there is hope for your present, and there is even hope for your past. That your failures, that your mistakes, your family of origin stuff, that that doesn't have to define you. There is hope that your past is not all that defines you. We're starting a series next week called Getting Past Your Past. Um, and the basic premise of that is Jesus came to save, heal, and deliver. And part of what he wants to save and heal is the wounds of our past. And here's the dirty secret. What we do not transform, we transmit. What we do not transform, we transmit. That thing that hurts you, if we do not transform it, if we do not process it, goes beneath the surface and comes back out as bitterness and unforgiveness and addiction to busyness because all you can really do is distract yourself. You gotta keep yourself busy. So you work and you run after sex and money and power and success and, and notoriety and Instagram followers and and and, and you run after, sometimes, Christian things. If I do enough Bible studies, I'll keep busy enough that I'll never notice how bad I'm hurting inside. Meanwhile, I'm doing all this talking about God without ever God actually healing me. And so we're starting this series five weeks long, getting past your past. But you do not transform, you transmit. And Jesus' desire for your life is that it would be more than this. 
out of whatever junk you have inside of you, you respond in a certain way. And afterwards, everybody is like, well, you know, so-and-so is just like this because this happened to them. Now, what Jesus has for you is that freedom, that that thing does not control you or your relationships. He called us to life and life abundant. There is hope for your future. There is hope for your present. And there is hope for your past. And on Easter, we find a hope that does not disappoint. This resurrection is no joke. It doesn't seek to put us to shame. It doesn't seek to disappoint. It is a hope that is durable and in bulletproof and even in life's worst moments. There's a, there's a translation of the scriptures called the message. And if you're new to reading the Bible, I would highly encourage you to read the message by Eugene Peterson, super smart guy, Bible in contemporary language. Do not, pro tip, do not start in Genesis. You will shortly come to a book called Leviticus and game over, my friend. There's stuff about boiling goats and its mother's milk. It gets strange, okay? Start in the book of Mark, okay? Help yourself out. You can download it on the Bible app. And here's what uh, Eugene Peterson, how he translate the first, translates the first two verses of this chapter. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us. Set us right with him. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. This friendship, this peace, this hope, it is something that God has always wanted to do. And we, we, we're, we're prone to imagine that God does these things begrudgingly because like he has to. Because you and I do so much out of a sense of obligation we believe that God must be like that too. So God loves us because he has to, because that's who he is. But if he had the choice, he probably wouldn't be that interested in me or you. That's not how it works. God has always wanted to be your friend. And not, by the way, like a couple times a year friend. I have two best friends that live in Eugene, Oregon. Well, one lives in Eugene and one lives in a town called Antioch. I saw Jarrell for the first time in November after three years. That is not the kind of friendship that Jesus is looking for. Somebody's living with us right now. His name's Aaron. He prayed up here. He's living. Our, that's the kind of friendship that Jesus is looking for. And he has always wanted to do it. Always. He has always, always, always wanted to give you that peace and that friendship. And he has, with great joy, cleared away all obstacles, our sin, death, the powers of darkness. He has cleared all of that away. So it's just him. And he says, all you have to do is enter by faith. And if you've been around church long enough, there's like a thing you pray, right? There's steps, right? The Romans road. Very cool. This is not Harry Potter. There is not like a magic spell or a potion to be devised. What God has only ever been looking for is a yes. Because here's the remarkable thing. Like you open the door to him a crack and you find out that he's already thrown his door wide open to you. That is what it means to enter into this through faith. It is a simple yes to this God who has always wanted, always wanted to give you friendship and peace and hope. And who doesn't just give us a thing, he gives us a person. He gives us a person who is peace, a person who is hope. He gives us a person who is, at his very core, a friend who is closer than a brother. 
Jesus walks from his tomb on that Easter and walks into our room today and offers friendship and peace and hope. And my friends, that is no joke. That is no joke. Father, you, you've been spending so much time trying to get our attention today. God, I pray that we would hear you and see you in our midst today. That we would hear you calling our name, that we would see this door flung wide open to us. God, right now I pray for my friends in this room that are kind of just doing the church thing. But God, maybe just for a minute you'd help them see past that. God, I pray for those of us that are feeling cynical or ashamed or too jacked up. God, I pray for the person who literally my voice is the teacher from Charlie Brown. I pray that your voice would be louder than mine. And God, for those of us who have been walking with you our whole lives, we pray that you would step in and remind us of this friendship. Remind us of the peace and the hope that you have for us even in the midst of this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At Regen, we come to this table each week. Every time we gather. Because we believe that our hope and our peace is found in the broken body and poured out blood of this Jesus. And on that Good Friday when his body was broken for us. And on that Good Friday when his blood was poured out for us. He said, it is finished. He said, the matter is settled. I will be your friend. I will offer you my peace. I will offer you my hope. His door is thrown wide open. And today he calls us just to open our door. So the way we take communion at, or receive communion at Regen is real simple. A couple things. The first is that you'll come forward, we'll rip off a piece of bread and hand it to you. You dip it in the cup like it's a nacho. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you lose your nacho, do not go fishing for your nacho. We will provide you another. The more important rule is this. If you have a pulse, you are welcome to this table. The cross, the empty tomb, it was for every person ever. It's for you and it's for me, it's for all of us. And so if you have a pulse, if you have a pulse today, you are welcome to this table. Um, we'll sing while we do this and then we'll celebrate our Easter's. Um, so let's get, um, let's get at Jairus. Let's get Steph. Um, and let's get Sarah. You get to be bread. Fear not, we have hand sanitizer. Yeah. So we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ that of the eating and drinking of them, we might know and taste and see your peace and hope and friendship. Amen. Amen. The table is open.
Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. I say this every week and I mean it every time. I love the snot out of you. And uh, I hope you have a happy Easter. We'll see you next time.